I needed to do a podcast for one of my classes for school and uh, came up with this idea to try and get some of the local firefighters and instructors in the area just to talk about training and talk about some of the new things coming up with the fire department. And uh, we actually decided that we might try and run with this and do a couple of episodes and uh, see if we can't get some some interesting topics out of it and some good discussions with people. Yeah, so um, after recording the first episode for Ed's school project, we decided that we should, uh, it would be a good idea to continue doing this and see if we can get other people interested in talking with us and just discussing various fire topics. Uh, the first episode is about training and online training. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. So go ahead and give it a listen. Uh, let us know what you think, and uh, let us know if it's something you'd be interested in listening to in the future. Welcome Thanks. to Bay Floor Discussions with Ed Pinnell, John Morrison, and Ryan Cole. So I'm here with Chief Brian Cole and Deputy Chief John Morrison of Casco Fire and Rescue. Go ahead and introduce yourself, guys. Hi, I'm uh, Brian Cole. I'm the Fire Chief of Casco Fire Rescue. I've uh, been the chief since uh, 2018. been with the department since 1990. Uh, Firefighter 2, EMT, and uh, that's about all I got. Hi, I'm John Morrison. Um, Deputy Chief with Casco Fire Rescue, um, Firefighter 2, National Registered Paramedic, and an Instructor 2. Uh, I have my Associates in Criminal Justice, my Bachelor's in Forensic Psychology. I've been in Public Safety for about 16 years. I've been in Fire EMS for 14, 15 years. Cool. Thanks for coming, hanging out, guys. Uh, thanks, John, for bringing the audio equipment. That's going to help out quite a bit. Uh, moving forward, I just got a couple of topics for you guys, and uh, we'll just kind of talk it out as uh, informally as possible and uh, see what we we have for uh, information and opinions. Sounds good. Back in April, Derek Newton wrote an article in Forbes uh, talking about how people moving forward in education, uh, specifically like college, uh, if they took an online class and it didn't go well, they lost the interest in continued education in general. They wouldn't go back to school. They wouldn't take online classes, all because of that that one bad experience. So knowing that in the future, there's there's going to be online attributes to, to classes almost certainly. Uh, how, how do you think you should prevent that? Or like if you have a student that comes to you with that bad experience in the past, how do you rectify that to keep them interested in learning? Yeah, well, I think I think the biggest part right now is that the instructors and professors and teachers need to understand how to present the material. Um, it, if you take the time to learn an alternative way to teach, i.e. online, then you're going to be able to present that topic better and in a different format uh, to include uh, more effective discussions and interactions with students. So I think that's kind of how this article was uh, written or why it was written, because it, it came out right around April when things kind of went south. Yeah. Uh, that 
the classes were rushed into going online. They never really got a chance to, to set up a system. They just basically came in Monday and said, hey, your class is online. It's not in this classroom anymore. And the teachers just went, okay, and, and tried, to, tried to adapt, you know, not really even adapt, just present what they already had because they didn't have time to, to turn it into an online class. They took their physical class and just put it on Zoom or something like that, right. and it didn't transfer very well. So past experiences are always going to uh, affect our um, perception of future experiences. We've all taken a bad class. We've all had bad online experiences. I personally have taught bad online classes because it's just not a platform that I've, I am used to. Um, how we as instructors or teachers or professors can address this transition is basically be upfront and explain why they're doing it, the process as clearly as possible. Also, meet with the students, try to get what they didn't like about past online classes and try involve those students in the correction, corrective process of fixing future online classes. Right, because I think the problem we run into a lot around here is that we, we still have a lot of people that are very, um, very hands-on and not very tech-savvy. You know, they, they don't like the computer aspect of things, and we need to... to like Chief was saying, adapt our classes to go to that digital platform and be as um, least intrusive as possible. Uh, right. We're, our biggest problem with our career um, choice is we are in public safety. We attract type A personalities. Typically, the type A personality likes hands-on they like to pick up hammers. They like to smash things. They just like to do stuff hands-on. They don't like PowerPoints or lectures in general. So you put all that online where they have to Which is really all computer. you can do online right. is, is media. and Right. right. We're going to have an issue. Right. I mean, there's just no way around it. Um, like I said, though, if we just communicate with them saying, look, this is all we have for now, especially during covid just try to express that and express the importance of staying current on your skills. I think we'd get better feedback. It's just, it's hard to do, especially for our career field. Right. And what do you think about, like, how do you keep them motivated towards a physical trait, like, a, or a physical skill? Like, can you just show them a bunch of videos of, like, cars on fire and go, yeah, well, you know, when... When it's allowed, we'll go back out and do that. <laughs> you think that that's something that's going to actually motivate them, or, or how do you? No, no, no it, it's not. Um, it, there is, like John was saying, is many of us are Type A, and we just have to ha have our hands on it. Um, and it, you can only present a certain topic so many ways before it starts to get old. Yeah. You know, um, so it, it's going to it's going to be a two part process. It's going to have to be an education for the educators. Um, and then we're going to have to develop some sort of curriculum that is going to take place in person. Yeah. Vocational is a hands on 
all hands off, yep. you know? So, and that's, that's where we fall. And unfortunately you can't substitute um, the hands-on experience by watching the video of a structure fire. Right. You know? So basically just be upfront with them and then tell them they're going to have to power through it. And that's correct. Yeah. <laughs> just let them know. Good, good luck with that. <laughs> look, look, we're, we're here with you. We know it's going to be awful. Yeah. But bear with us. We'll get through this. An article in uh, Frontiers of Psychology went over a study for students that were online, students that went to physical classes. And what they found that was even when they were interested in the class, um, the same interest level for the physical class as the online class, the students that took the online class had a much harder time uh, focusing and really needed to put more energy into dedicating time to go to that class than the students that went to a physical classroom and had like a weekly schedule. Um, how would you guys think you could change the structure of an online class to make sure that students that are learning online, that need to learn online, will keep that focus and that energy on that topic? So. The majority of my bachelor's degree was online, and we've talked about this in the past, Ed. Um, what they did was at the beginning of the class, classes, um, they would tell us how much time they believe we needed to dedicate to certain aspects of that class in order to be successful. So like reading and writing, they'd say, you know, to be successful in this class, you'd have to do at least a minimum of three hours a week. Uh, your class projects, you would have to do a minimum of two hours a week. And they set that ahead um, ahead of the class. They set those standards ahead of the class to keep us um, aware of what we needed. And that helped. As far as the problem with it online is you're at home typically or at work. You're looking at a computer screen. There's nothing that there to physically make you pay attention. Whereas right. when you're in person, there's an instructor there. You have that person's attention. You're yeah. literally within physical proximity to that person. So well, not only that, but when you have classes like at a college, yeah. you know that you're at this class every Monday and Wednesday from eight to nine or whatever. Right. Whereas if you have an online class, most of the time it's you sign on whenever, or you know maybe you have an hour requirement, maybe you don't. I mean, it's it's 100% your own schedule. Well, so like my classes I took, it wasn't 100% my schedule because I had to be online a certain amount of times. I mean, for class lectures, I had to be online and participate in the discussion of those classes at a certain time. I mean, I was working with the chief one day and we were on our way back from Maine Med and I had to log into my class to participate while we were driving back from a call. So I think that is one way, just thinking about it now, to um, keep students' attention is to require those certain time frames where they have to be logged on and interacting with other students. Right. I mean, that's that's the reason I took online classes is because my schedule is, is so inconsistent that it was nice that I got an assignment and I knew an assignment needed to be in at a certain time and that um, when I got it done, I could choose that. So, um, usually at the last moment, usually. So yeah. like 
when you said your classes gave you um, a suggested suggested amount of time dedicated to assignments, was that like something later on in your your online classes that helped you from there, or is that something that you took at the beginning that helped you moving forward? So they suggested it at the beginning. Did I follow it at the beginning? Is beginning of the class asking? or beginning of your, your, your online Beginning of my online general? thing. And then okay. they would reiterate or reinforce it at the beginning of each class. Now, yep. if you're asking, did I follow it, by the way, <laughs> that would be a big negative. Right. So did you notice when you actually started to follow it that you were more successful and you actually started to dedicate that time and, and recognize yourself yep. that you you needed to put that time and effort into the class? Yes, Okay, and it became more like second nature. You didn't need to. Correct. Okay, so you didn't like. Uh, I don't can't even figure out how I'm trying to phrase this. So it it took me. Uh, I decided to go off and do it my own way, um, but I found that if I didn't follow a set schedule, that I would tend to put stuff off because I could be like, you know what, I'm just going to do that tomorrow. Or I'll do this, you know, while I'm on duty the next day. And it's just, it's no way. And then I'd find out that as I'd put stuff off, it'd be like, oh, it's due tomorrow at 6 p.m. And then I was doing it at 5 p.m. tomorrow. It's a consistency thing, I think. Exactly. You know, like you have a structure and you would be hard-pressed to find someone who didn't need some sort of structure at some point in their life. To stay motivated. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think, I think that's what that article really is talking about, is that you know students found that when somebody else didn't tell them that they needed to take this class at certain times, then the energy that they would use to learn in the class was now expelled simply in motivating themselves to log on and, like, actually study and click the, the lecture button and right. look at the screen the entire time. Because when you're in a classroom and somebody's talking at the front of the classroom, <laughs> you can't zone that out. Right. It's a captive audience, right. right? They don't have other things going on. They don't have someone behind them getting dinner ready. Right. You know, like those are all the online things that we have to fight. So, yeah, there's going to be a, there's, there's a drop off, but it, it takes effort for you to be able to focus on that. Absolutely. We, every one of us is multitasking, doing something, yep. you know, um, even right now you're, you're you got the computer screen and, and we're talking back and forth, which is great, but it's that focus, right? You know, we don't have anything else going on around us right now. Yep. So it makes it a lot easier. And we've noticed with more people here, it's actually been easier to focus on the questions and talking to, you know, a, an audience instead of talking one-on-one. -on -one, you you, right. you find yourself like A, B, question, answer, not an actual conversation. Yeah. So, yeah. so there's a company called VR Sync that offers virtual reality systems, which are um, it's software and it's also some actual hardware components that allow people to train in high risk environments like um, you know, surgery or military operations or even, I mean, it sounds way different than the first two, but, but mining and heavy equipment that are 
situations that if you go out there the first time and you screw up, you, you could kill someone. Um, is that something you think that one day would be applicable to fire or, or EMS that would just allow students to, to do some of these tasks for the first time without the risk of injury or death to themselves or, you know, the patient or the public? We are using it. Um, Atlantic Partners is using a VR, I think it's an EVOC training type of thing. I haven't looked much into it, but they have something like that. Oh, cool. <laughs> Being used, the military uses it. I read an article or saw something where they use something like an active shooter type simulation um, to train people on those high risk situations. Does it have a place? Um, yes, we're using it. Is it going to replace training altogether? No. There is nothing can replace on-the-job training. Nothing can re be re nothing can replace, you know, that the everyday aspects of what our job does. Going into a burning building, doing CPR on something. I mean, we use mannequins as it's not virtual reality. No, but it's, it's a simulation. simulation. It's the same thing. And yeah. it's, it's nowhere near. Well, look at the, they have the sim labs now. Yeah. So they have not only mannequins, so, but you can have a mannequin that has a pulse that breathes. Right. That They can be used to modify people's behavior to a certain degree. But you're, you're just not going to know what it's truly like until you actually do it. Right. Yeah. You know, you do CPR on a mannequin. That's great. You, you can get your depth and your pressures right. And, but until you put your hands on someone's chest and start cracking ribs, right. you can't you can't explain that to someone. Right. Um, so there are portions that could be, um, but I I really think that we're such a tactile environment, and we respond to the environment around us that those. Unless there's some magnificent stuff coming. Have you down guys the road. used the the or the Oculus the the headsets the uh, the VR headsets? No, no. So they're they're pretty wild. Yeah. So like you put this on your head and you don't feel I, the world around you anymore. I have I have, I have, I have used it. If, it makes like, me sick to my stomach. Right, it that, it yes. gives me motion sickness. I used sickness. it for a roller coaster simulation and it was pretty good. Right. Um. But once again, well, what is education, right? We're trying to modify a person's behavior. So as far as can it be used for behavior modification, yes. But there's just something to that real-life situation that you can't teach in virtual reality or simulations. But it's a good intro. But, but I, I know think, what I mean. You, right. you just, it's good for education, behavior modification, and teaching people. But you still need that real life hands on. Right, it's a good a supplement, but right. but not maybe a, it's a good eye opener. Yeah, you know. So I think I mean um, there's a there's a website called Jobs for the Future that did an article that uh, talks about just the the immersion portion of virtual reality that will drop a student into a high stress situation. You, when, like I said, with that headset, not only does it 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 takes your field of vision away, but you can put earmuffs on. It, it gets rid of all the outside noise. And you could add, I mean, think of all the times in like EMS classes where they do crazy stuff just to try and distract you. You could do that. I mean, you could do it very realistically, put screaming yeah. noises in the background, 
you know, imagine imagine a simulation where you go to a car accident and there's people screaming and cars driving by and glass shattering and whatever else. Imagine uh, like a search and rescue training even. You know, imagine instead of putting the the wax paper over your your SCBA mask and walking around downstairs, that you actually go into a building and you hear the crackling of the fire and you hear pass alarms going off and you hear sirens going off. You do, but it, it, well, let's stay with that that topic. You're not it, the environment, though. You're seeing things, you're hearing things, but. You're not feeling 900 degrees, yep. you know, so there's certain parts of the senses that it will affect. Absolutely. Um, but there's also many that it won't affect. And that's that would be the disconnect, I think, in the fire service or EMS. Of, you know, do I think it has a place? Absolutely. Um, but I again, we go back to the online world versus reality and and actually physically doing right um i'm just thinking everybody's got a story of someone that went through the fire academy or went through fire one and two and then got to their first big structure fire and then got to the door and before they even felt heat they just went this is real right and i think you could you could weed that out a little bit when you you immerse them into something like that. Sure. So yeah, I mean the emotional aspect. Um, I think yeah, I think that's exactly can, what I'm getting at. Yeah, is the so emotion. The emotions you can train somebody to control their emotions, control their fear. But like the chief was saying, you're missing that tactile touch. Like you said, the EMS call where you could simulate stuff going on, but you still don't know. I'm grabbing the chief's arm. What does somebody's arm feel See, that's like? the perfect or, example. They don't know that you're actually or touching starting it. An, or starting an IV or doing compressions. They don't know. Like, yes, it can get their heart rate up. It can get that emotional response. But they don't know the heat. They don't know the feeling of the, the you know, on your neck and on your mask. They don't know the feeling of grabbing something and hauling it out under those conditions, it can help to a certain degree, but it's never going to replace real. No. So, I mean, ultimately when I started this, I was trying to find a way to evaluate students remotely. Uh, I'm I'm really, really trying to stay away from the COVID topic, but we we have to hit it. It's the times we're in that, uh, you know, we've, been told that we can only have so many people in a classroom and it might reach a point at one time that we can't have the classroom at all, period. And we can't have that gap in in emergency services that says you can't teach new people because the, you need it. You need you need a uh, a workforce. You you need that uh, skills pool. So when I started this, what I was trying to find was a way to evaluate students without actually being one-on-one. The closest thing I could find was that, that virtual reality. And most of what I read was basically what you're saying. You, you can supplement it. You can supplement virtual reality in, in hands-on training. Uh, in fact, one of the places was for uh, nurses, you know, nurses weren't allowed. They weren't allowing students into hospitals because they were such a high-risk environment right now. So they gave them these virtual reality trainings, which seems weird to me because you, you 
that nobody has a virtual reality system sitting at their house. Like they, they've still got to go to some place to, to train this, but they put them in an environment that I'm sure simulated doctors yelling at you and other nurses around you yelling at you and like statistics being thrown out and tried to break the ice of these people. Somebody that's been reading these skills in a book and put them in an environment to test those skills without actually putting them in the physical world. So what do you guys think? So if if I gave you that scenario right now. Short answer, no. (laughs) Evaluation, so. If I gave you that scenario right now, that like tomorrow uh, we were told you need to cancel all of your. I already have a plan in place. (laughs) Okay, that's what I'm asking you about. (laughs) Evaluation. See, that's it's so hard to do. You and I have experienced how many online jujitsu things do they have? Right. You can't evaluate a physical skill from miles, hundreds of hundreds of miles away. You can get whatever angle, whatever lighting you have. You still, you just need to be there, especially with something like something that is high risk to your life or high risk to other people's life. Evaluating doing evaluations over long distances or online is just, it's not acceptable in my book. So I've been monitoring the COVID situation and them um, them. possibly having, reducing our students. And there's just no way we can get, we can get away with doing it online and doing online evaluations and still producing a quality product. So whether they reduce it, we, if we reduce stuff, I'm just going to break the class into smaller groups. One classroom will be downstairs. One classroom will be upstairs with two instructors. I mean, there's ways to do it without having to go completely online and still stay safe. Yeah. Because they're not going to hold anyone that completes a certification. We'll say we were 100% online, evaluated online, and there's no way that they can, I don't want to say it. There's certain skills you can't do online and still be credible. Right. It takes the credibility out of that course. Yeah. You just, you, you can't. If you tell me you got your firefighter one and two completely online, and you did a simulation on your tough book or whatever. No. <laughs> Are you going to want to go in with that firefighter on their first fire? No. I mean, Not exactly. Right. There's, there's got to be a way to introduce them to that, the, the heat, the smell of diesel, the smell of burning. Yeah, fuel, you catch you stuff know? on fire and you put them in right. there. Right. You exactly. can't do that over line. Uh, I mean, online. Right. But it would supplement. It would it would start them out to it. It could be used as a supplement, right? But it can't be used. You, you, it no. can't replace it. Yeah, you can't do it. Right. All right. I think that's uh, that's all I have for you guys. Um, thanks for hanging out. Thanks for going over the topics with me. And uh, we'll see. Maybe we'll we'll do more of this in the future. Thank so, you, Ed. Yeah. And God bless. <laughs> <laughs>